This boy and girl are going to be well equipped when the time comes to take their places as worthy members of adult society. Aloha, y'all. Have you ever told a story, and when you were telling it, you were almost doubting the validity of it? It was so unreal. <laughs> this is one of these conversations. Oh, my goodness. Hold on to your horsies. I'm not sure who all checked out the last podcast with my dad, but that seemed to be getting some of the best reviews of any interview thus far, so that was super affirming. And this one just might be juicier. Uh, the guest of the show is Naga Lakshmi Devi. And interestingly enough, she is getting ready to launch her online course. And as many of y'all may know, Breaking Normal University online course was just released. So we also have that in common. Um, her course is called A Map to Radiance or Map to Radiance. And it's a course that teaches you how to activate unlimited radiance and wild self-love from the inside out through an approach called the Diamond Method. So y'all can probably guess we already have a lot of synergy just by hearing that. And uh, for the people that are enrolled in Breaking Normal University, the Tribe Design Online tier, uh, we're going to have another call. We've switched the calls from once every two weeks to two times a week, Wednesdays and Sundays. Today's at 5.55 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And if uh, we're going to cap that call at 20, my dad can be a guest to kind of answer any questions based on the quinine water protocol that I uploaded on my Instagram. If you haven't seen that yet, that's a, that's definitely something to consider in these crazy times. Um, go to my Instagram and watch me where I pop out of the freezer and I interview my dad about his breaking normal protocol using tonic water, gin and tonic without the gin as a way to um, prophylactically keep a safe distance from the C word. All right, y'all. And this, funny enough, this podcast was interviewed on Friday the 13th on the day a national emergency was declared. It's just uh, a lot of stuff has happened since then. And I'm finally getting to interview, I'm finally getting to upload it. And I'm really excited to get y'all's feed forward. That's uh, feedback, breaking normal style. And I would love to see that feed forward on the iTunes review. And where you can message me at daniel at breakingnormal.com or Instagram message me. And I'm really excited for whoever joins that call. Um, if you have any questions about how to get that, please let me know. I basically just upload, uploaded a new module, the Breaking Normal Yin-Yang Breath Ritual, which I think if you really look at the world and if you listen to Dr. K's interview about what might be going on metaphorically with the lungs of the earth, let's start by taking care of our own lungs by implementing breathing such as that such as that ritual. And that um, is one of the most powerful rituals over the years that I've used the most consistently to supercharge myself. Um, It's almost a non-negotiable at this point. And what I'll do at the very end of the podcast is an outro. I will upload some of the content from the Breaking Normal University so you can see if you really feel aligned and called to take action, do it now. Because it comes for the first 150 people that sign up, it comes back with a backed with a money 100% satisfaction guarantee or your money back. And if anyone's really strapped for cash in these times, I'm happy to give you my own stimulus and give you a free month. So just reach out about that. But I'm really excited to drop in with the potential up to 20 people on the call a day, and even with my dad joining again. 
and I'll uh, leave you all with a teaser in the outro and enjoy this interview with Naga. This has been one of my favorite, most unique Breaking Normal ones. So keep Breaking Normal and peace in, y'all. Much love. Okay, aloha, Daniel and Naga. Aloha. This is a story for me and you. <sighs> and I so happen to be recording it for whatever purposes that may serve for the highest. Mm. So, job less, here we go. So, Naga, Naga. All right, let me see if I can uh, explain this from my perspective. The night that I decided to host the Breaking Normal Sensory Deprivation Speed Dating Experience, and I did that, I think, with an intention in my heart that there's something weird. Like, I've re-entered a world culturally known as dating that is very different than when I was in that world before. Mm. And I was thinking, like, well, maybe if I can support other people and connecting to what they're really looking for, then that'll happen for me. Mm. That was part, a major part. <laughs> yeah, so like when in need, plant a seed. This is something I believe in. Mm. And not that I was in need, that's like a stronger word, but it's good for the, <laughs> the meme <laughs> of when in need, plant a seed, it rhymes, it's cute. Um, but I definitely had a desire in my heart. I'm like, wow, let me see if I can support myself and others and navigating these weird waters because of what's going online with dating apps, with social media, with now, now, like even the coronavirus, this wasn't going on when the coronavirus, I didn't host this when the coronavirus was as popular as it is today. Today there was a national emergency declared for the United States um, a few hours ago. And it's also interesting because it's Friday the 13th and there's some interesting um, myth around maybe the word Friday and the number 13 around the divine feminine that I would encourage myself to look up more into or look more into. And y'all, if you, anyone has any answers or ideas around that or questions around that, I'm curious to hear. And that uh, it's arguably maybe the most significant um, date in your life, March 13th. With that, and specifically what happened 13 years ago on March 13th. Yeah, definitely. So we're gonna. My intention is to discuss this story of what happened 13 years ago, pretty much from right now, which also is just like a, there's an emergency being declared <laughs> today, literally, and there was an emergency in your life and other lives um, yeah. on this day 13 years ago, and it's, and yeah. So to thicken the plot even more, the night after the sensory deprivation speed dating experience. It was pretty interesting because there was a, there was a lot of people all of a sudden all of a sudden it felt like there was a lot of like female energy in my life mm. like that right after doing that experience and even from one of the females that was at the experience I think had the idea that we were maybe dating <laughs> or something I don't know what happened but um, I basically went out that night with her and several other people. And while kind of navigating the waters of confusion that I was more here to dance with this other woman and just enjoy myself with a group of friends, um, I simultaneously saw a woman <laughs> known as the woman that I'm looking at right now that like really uh, changed my moment. Like when I saw her, my m whole being shifted. Um, in a way that was, as I was telling you before we put the headphones on, that was very meaningful. So much meaningful 
that I decided I made a commitment to myself, like in the moment, like I gotta follow my body because some weird shit is going on <laughs> around me right now. <laughs> like there is, and it was already a chaotic atmosphere. There was a lot of people with a epic DJ, loud noise, tight space, <laughs> freak on, like, it was, and and the night was shutting down. So I kind of left. I walked out of the bathroom and I just followed my body to you. <laughs> I remember following my body to you. <laughs> And you were kind of, like, dancing and hanging out with other people, but I kind of just, like, stood there. I, stood, I remember standing my ground, like, yeah, I'm here to see you. I remember that. <laughs> what do you remember about that? I'm curious if you – because that was uh, – it was meaningful for me, and I'm curious about it. That specific moment when yeah. you were standing there? Um, I just remember kind of wondering, like, what you wanted. Uh, and I And I knew that there was – there was some kind of engagement that I think you were seeking possibly and I could feel that so I engaged and I don't remember exactly what I said because I was with a friend um, and we started talking about I can't even remember what (laughs) that's that's good that's pretty much on right on my books because I remember thinking like I don't know what I want either Mm. but I know I'm following my body (laughs) right here and it wants to be next to you Mm. and it was a little fun comfortable because i wasn't trying to dance necessarily with you but it was pretty like a dancing situation so i was just like dancing by myself kind of like next to you i remember that and then things the waters parted again and i could tell there was some crazy energy going on with the group of people that i came there with one being that maybe my friend was getting disoriented very disoriented. Um, and then I remember all of a sudden the lights came on and like the DJ being the master of ceremony <laughs> just was like, everyone's out. Everyone's leaving all of a sudden. I'm like, oh, wow. And my body saw, <laughs> I saw you in my eyes. I'm like, I'm going to now let this person know what my body wants to do. Mm. And I think I remember telling you something <laughs> like, I want to tell you something. Like I want and right when I did, you're like, well, before you do, this is what I remember, before you do, you got uh, why is that girl videotaping you? And I thought you were joking. I thought you were joking, but someone had got so disoriented. Well, she that wasn't just videotaping you. She was videotaping us. Yeah. Or you talking? Yeah. 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 And based on a series of events before leading up to this that were pretty shocking to my mind, from people potentially trying to sabotage me dating, I was totally floored. I just first couldn't believe it. I was just like, no, this girl's funny. I'm like, someone's videotaping, sure. And then when I was like, oh my gosh, she's telling the truth. Yeah. And so I did. I was like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. First of all, I loved how you instructed me to do that when I found out you were being truthful. Mm. I was like, oh, this is a real thing. Mm -hmm. So I immediately addressed that situation immediately like so clearly so quickly and then I went back to you Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) and um that led to a I would say a string of like funny silly synchronous fun happenings but inevitably leading to me explaining the story to you why that was even happening who I was with Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, what mm -hmm. was I doing and I told you about the sensory deprivation Mm -hmm. speed dating experience and I gave you a ride to your house after all of this craziness and we did the sensory deprivation speed dating experience in my car yes. like the, our version of that and then that was so impactful on me mm. I remember you crying yeah 
couple times. <laughs> I would love to know what happened for you during that experience. Um, the first time I cried, I can't even really recall. It was like the first level because there's four levels right? or five. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And this this current the, this iteration of that experience, we did a um, a I don't know if we did the technical thing the same. We did the sensory day for the experience itself, but we would ask questions first in the experience. Like in the dating experience, we did, did the breaking normal game. Um, mm. and blindfolded. Mm. So I'm not sure if we did that part. You you entered in with, well, we decided to close our eyes mm -hmm. and then the first level you brought us into it with a question, but I can't remember what the question was. Yeah, so I think I channeled Fred from the Breaking Normal app oh, game for okay. that first experience. Okay. And then, yeah, blindfolded for the next one, which was can I smell you here? The next one was can I touch you here? Right. With more context for anyone that wants to attend a future <laughs> experience. There's a lot of context yeah. around that. And then finally an eye-gazing experience in silence. Okay. Did we do the eye gazing? Level? I think I believe so. Okay. I believe so. I believe that my, maybe you were just crying, and I thought we were eye gazing, and I was like, "Wow, it's powerful eye gazing." I remember <laughs> crying in uh, the, from the question you asked me, but I can't remember what the question was. But it was obviously really powerful because I was crying, and then I was like in disbelief that I'm like, I don't even know this person. <laughs> I'm like crying, really, um, from such a like authentic and deep place, and. Yeah, so that was just an, um, I guess you could say, breaking normal experience to be, to know someone for like less than, I don't know, an hour and then be like, just go straight into the soul, <laughs> I guess you could say. Um, and then the second time I cried, I remember it was at the end and I thought it was a, from another question, but maybe it was from the eye gazing. I don't know. <laughs> maybe it was a question beyond <laughs> words. Um, yeah. Long story short, that once again, it's like, yeah, super, like, whoa. I was like, whoa, what is happening mm -hmm. here? And um, sure enough, the next day, I think there was like, was that the day I saw you in the coffee shop? The next day? Or no? <laughs> Hold on, let me. And that's a significant, while she thinks about that, that's a significant moment to consider because there was a text message. She texted me from a coffee shop I go to quite frequently. And when it was like two days later, I think and when yeah. I saw you, yeah, okay. yeah. But the next day, you were texting me because you were you lost your ID. Yep. Which I also find found interesting. <laughs> like this girl's telling me she like after that night she feels like she lost her ID. I'm like I kind of lost my identification too in a way. <laughs> like in a, my way of understanding what's happening. And she was looking for her ID, <laughs> but it came from this coffee shop that I go to so frequently. And then I remember I have flashback of remembering seeing you before at that coffee shop mm. and to be uh and i want to just keep this between me and you so like meaning that i know other people might listen one day somehow or <laughs> whoever it is but like i remember thinking and i told you this i'm like oh my gosh i've seen this girl before this girl mm. that i just hung out with that was crying in my car last night <laughs> uh that I had this breaking normal experience with i actually do kind of know her because mm. i had seen her and I remember thinking she was the most attractive girl I've seen in Boulder mm -hmm. at that coffee shop. But when that text met, and I remember thinking at that time, I had this moment. I was like, I'm going to go tell this girl that. I always remember the coffee shop. I'm going to go like express something. And I was like, nah, I don't know. I just didn't feel right. Mm. And sure enough, by trusting in my body in that moment, I feel like I got to reap the rewards 
that night and now and beyond. And that's a theme of the story. Um, and that's how, <laughs> yeah, so the, that not the next day, the next day, that's what happened. The next day, after you texted me, I was like, well, we can come check my car out and see if your ID is in the car. Mm-hmm. And I was stoked about that because mm-hmm. I was like, well, I'll at least get to see what's going on here. And sure enough, I don't know if you found, you didn't find your ID, but I made the joke before you left my car. I was like, oh, yeah, by the way, um, I'm, I have a non-contested divorce hearing at the end of the month. Um, and I want you to know that. <laughs> yeah, I want you to know that. And I kind of said it as a joke, but I was doing it on purpose so there was no confusion and also based on a previous crazy experience. Mm. And then, you, like, when I said that, time, like, froze. It froze. Yeah, seriously, like, the pin dropped. The pin dropped. Because <laughs> the idea was not being found. It was getting more <laughs> misunderstood because then she said to me that, oh, well, what, what do you mean? What day? What What are you talking about? What, at the end of the month? And when? When? And I was like, why are you asking me that? I'm like, just tell me. I mean, what do you mean? Why are you asking me the specific date and time? And, she, and then you said, I had, you had a non-contested divorce hearing mm-hmm. at the end of the month. Mm-hmm. And then after us, just I think how I remember it is being disbelief. We finally con- admitted the exact date yeah. and time just yeah. in case we were yeah. trying to trick each other. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we like checked each other's calendars. And it was the exact same date, same hour, same minute, same location. Same, yeah. Same courthouse. And that's when I really got captivated. <laughs> <laughs> getting a little feedback here somewhere. That's when my captivation captivation became like, oh, this is a thing now for me. Like, I don't care what happens between me and this person, but I have to honor. Mm-hmm. Like, I do care. <laughs> I mean, I trust. I trust whatever happens between me and this person mm-hmm. is going to be right. But I get to honor the ridiculousness of this. Yeah, <laughs> ridiculousness. Absolutely ridiculousness. And then, um, not to share. I like. I, I'm. I feel pretty good right now because I'm so f- fascinated about exploring what this means beyond that, mm-hmm. and it's been so fun thus far, mm-hmm. and such an honor. And this is so unique what we're doing right mm-hmm. now. But uh, one thing that came up was to find out more about your personal history and how you've run retreats. Mm-hmm. And you've kind of been from Portland, which is a very significant place in my life. And that you're here with your dog and more like just you feel like I feel like you're kind of here caretaking for your dog in mm-hmm, Boulder while mm-hmm. taking care of yourself. Yeah, it's like absolutely. That, okay. Yeah. And but one thing I found out, which is where it brings back to the original kind of hook of this story, the connection of this story that we're going to share a day is that 13 years ago today you mentioned that because i had some company over and you were telling a little bit of a, about your story and that you were in j- prison for almost three years mm-hmm, for three years for three years because of something that happened 13 years ago pretty much exactly around this time yeah it was and i'm so like it means so much to me to honor this with you and i, I really want to hear about it from you and i thought maybe this is a way for to serve you for mm-hmm. you to share the story mm-hmm. um and yeah the significance is too strong for me to not pay attention to yeah so i am curious what was going on 13 <laughs> years ago exactly that catalyzed you mm-hmm. being in prison for three years wow um well 
that's like a big, big opening statement. I'm wondering where to begin. Um, yeah, that. Well, if I think about exactly 13 years ago on this day, around this time, it's probably like 5.30 Mountain Time. Um, yeah, I, okay, so like three hours prior, I had been ditching school pretty much all day. I was a sophomore in high school, Green Mountain High School, um, here in Green Mountain, Colorado, like right outside of Littleton. And I'd been ditching school all day. A friend of mine rec recently got her driver's license, so um, I remember her asking me if I wanted to, like, I think she had the period off, like that class off, so um, she asked me if I wanted to go, like, ride around in her car, and I was like, yeah, let's go do it. Let's, I don't know, just go have fun, and <laughs> let's go do it. Um, and we started driving around, and I remember just her just, like, driving through the neighborhoods, like, really fast, and we were, like, blasting music, and... Um, then that kind of just set the tone for the rest of the day. I, I didn't go back to school. Uh, I ended up, I remember like we ended up picking some friends up at lunchtime and we parked in a neighborhood and one of the people that we picked up had like a handle of like the grossest apple vodka. It was like, um, I can like see the label. It's like a red and white label. Um... And so we just started drinking, started drinking like 3 p.m. or earlier, no, lunchtime, so like 12 p.m. And um, that just turned into, yeah, I'm like, wow, how, 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 how detailed and deep into the story am I, am I going? Um, yeah, that really turned into... just like a spiraling effect that's what it kind of feels like that day um so then we just continued drinking I don't even I think just in the car um then school was out and we met up with more friends and we were like parked somewhere somewhere just random I don't even remember where like somewhere in a neighborhood and we were just drinking and smoking and hanging out um we went joyriding in someone's car that we had like just met I remember a friend of mine Oh, okay, yeah, that's what happened. So after school was out, one of my friends had a fake ID, and we knew of a liquor store that would sell to underage kids, like right down the street from my high school. So we drove our friend to the liquor store, and he went to the liquor store, came out with alcohol. Um, so we started drinking more. Yeah. Yeah, and that was... That was a theme um, at that time of m in my life. I was really rebellious and um, yeah, I was really rebellious and lost, I, I would say. And that having like a party image kind of made, made me feel like I was fun and like people would want to be around fun. And um, so I started to identify as like I don't know that person. Um, hmm. But I had, I mean, there's there's so much more before this story too, like leading up to that of like why I was even in that kind of spiral. 
Um, but we eventually, one of our friends like went to go pick up weed from his dealer. And so me and my friend are like waiting outside in the car. And there was these people outside in their driveway and they had a really nice kind of, I remember it was a red convertible. I don't remember the kind of convertible. And we all of a sudden just started talking to them. And they were like well over our age, like 40s, in their 40s. And I remember one of the guys asking if I wanted to take a ride in the convertible. And I like, no hesitation, was like, fuck yeah, let's do it. And like looking back now, I'm like, wow, that was like such a risky choice. Like who, I mean, the possibilities of where that could have gone. But he, he like went down the street, took us a couple blocks and we came back. Um, and then we were just talking with these people in their driveway. My friend comes out from his dealer's place. We get back in the car. My friend ends up telling us that he has to leave and he was the one driving us around. Although this is the friend who bought the alcohol. So he bought the alcohol. He's driving us around. Um, so now all of a sudden we have no sober driver. And at that point, I can't remember who's, I think my friend was driving who owned the car. But so did he drop himself at his yeah, house? Yeah, yeah. He, oh, he dropped himself off at his house and yeah. then y'all figured and out. And then we, yeah. Okay, we and took your friend started there. driving, okay. My friend started driving. She, my friend who's driving ends up like picking up a boy that she has a crush on and she wants to like be with him in the back so they can all cuddle cuddle on each other and i remember her i'm I'm trying to remember now the specific way she asked it she said something about if someone else could drive and i was like yeah i'll do it and she was like are you sure and i was like yeah i got this like just i at that moment i remember in that moment when she asked me that and when I, I offered to drive, I was really like coming from this place of like helping my friend out in the sense of like, oh, she wants to be with this boy who she has a crush on. Like, okay, let's, I'll be, I'll take the driver's seat. And I had my best friend in the passenger seat, my other friend who owned the car in the back seat with her crush. And I remember going through the McDonald's parking lot and like sun is going down now at this point like it's sunset and it's a school night and I remember wanting to stay out later so I was like okay I'm gonna call my mom and like make up some lie and see if I can stay out and I don't remember what I made up probably something about studying or I don't know something to ask my mom if I could stay out and she granted me yes and so yeah we're going to I remember calling her like in the McDonald's parking lot which was like two blocks from my house at the time we go to the mcdonald's parking lot we get our food or the uh, drive-thru we go we get our food and then we're like okay what are we going to do now because now we're drunk and we want to keep partying i got permission to stay out what's next um so we're like okay let's all go to we were like gonna go to this park and just continue to party at this park so we start heading that way and as we're driving up the road, sun is going down. It's pretty much dark at this point. And the music is blasting in the car. My friends, yep, yeah, my best friend's sitting next to me. I remember multitasking, like playing music from my phone, driving, 
eating McDonald's food. I'm wasted at that point, which is amazing that I can remember this. Like there's like pockets of memory also because it was so long ago as well. Um, and then I blacked out. I just completely blacked out. I remember the last, uh, the last thing I remember in the car was spilling buffalo sauce on my phone and like licking it off of my phone. Wait, so while driving, you're saying <laughs> yeah. you, that's the last thing you remember yeah. is licking buffalo sauce off oh of your God. phone. Yeah. Wow. And wow. I like, I laughed just because it's like, yeah. wow. It's just ridiculous. The, <laughs> I don't just what was going on in that moment. Um, and, I almost like am laughing at my lack of awareness or like care, almost like in disbelief of like my actions. And I think laughing is a way for it's like healing for me in a way to be like, how like how silly and stupid, but stupid would be like me going into negative self talk. And it's just like, how silly was I? Like, what, what the fuck was I thinking? And that for some reason. I don't know, it just makes me laugh. Maybe because the feelings around it are can be so dense that Yeah, I don't know. Something. But so I, I mean I think someone can laugh till they cry or cry they t to cry till they laugh. Mm -hmm. And the healing benefits are pretty the the not even the healing, just the naturalness of that. Mm -hmm. It's pretty important. <sighs> So I, yeah, if you need, if someone needs to laugh, laugh. If someone needs to cry, cry. It's like, and maybe sometimes laughing is hiding crying. Sometimes, yeah. Maybe sometimes the other way around too. Well, and there's a lot of, I, 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 I guess I address that because there's a lot of guilt that comes up. I can, yeah. I mean, wh what's coming up for me when I listen to this is like how ridiculous I was, mm. and I, I still is reminding me. I don't know if I ever did the research to find out when I flipped my mom's mm -hmm. car down the cliff. Mm -hmm trying to prove my physics teacher wrong on how fast you could take a curve, which I already did, but I wanted to go in more. He said 32, I did 35, and then I wanted to do 40. And uh, I don't know what was going to stop me. I, and actually, I think that, for for me, very different. Like, you know, we maybe we're in similar mindsets or not. Mm -hmm. There, I was very sober, but I was like, not because I may have been maybe I was drunk on hormones. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. drunk on testosterone, mm -hmm. drunk on, like, being a teenager in this wildly constricting system. <laughs> mm -hmm. So his physics teacher says this, I say, no, you don't. And then I, <laughs> I did it right, and then I want to go farther. Until I went so far, yeah, I flipped my mom's car down the cliff, and I was with my best friend. And fortunately, that we there was a few scratches, and I got to go to court and have this really unique experience of, uh, without, I don't want to make the story about me, but, I am suspicious of the timing of the year and the month. Mm. So remind me to look that okay. up after this. Okay. You don't remember? I think I graduated high school in 2007. No. 2003. Four. 2004. No, 2003. I think I graduated high school in 2003. Mm. That probably happened. In, it probably happened the year before, 2002 or 2001. I'm not sure though. This happened in 2003. Is that correct? No, mine was 2007. 2007. Well, I'm, now I'm getting my dates mixed up. <laughs> I graduate. I think I graduated college in 2007. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was it. Yeah, when I, in 2007, and I was in uh, I was in Atlanta going to graduate, getting ready to graduate college.
which was really crazy. <laughs> I wrote my number on my hat. You wrote your number on your hat? Uh, like, we had a thing. Yeah, isn't that what people do? I don't know. Oh, I, like they right, right, I think yeah. I taped my number on there. That's pretty interesting. <laughs> so back to your night. Yeah, tell me. Tell me. So you blacked out. Well, and that's another synchronicity, too, is like this car accident experience of you being the driver of a car accident as well. Oh, and the, that was the, that, that was definitely arguably that was the mm, arguably the biggest shift in my life it, um up to that point wow. for sure. And you were a senior in high school? Um probably a junior in high uh-huh. school, probably yeah. a junior. Wow. You being a senior. Sophomore. Sophomore. I was either a sophomore or a junior. Wow. So interesting parallels. Yeah, for me, um, quickly, because, because I, I want to hear more depth of your story, I, I just woke up. I remember we were doing this thing called White Boy TV. Oh, right. And this was like one of our films, proving our physics teacher wrong about this. And I remember right when that happened and I saw my friend was okay, I was like, oh, White Boy TV's over. And I just walked up the hill and called the police. I was I like, and that, something shifted in my body. I'm like, oh, I somehow didn't understand that my actions have consequences like i what the what, what? Yeah, like i was just killed my wow. and, and then my um best friend's parents came to pick him up and when they, i saw the shock in their eyes like because he was okay so they were super grateful mm-hmm. but that could have easily not been okay my car was flipped upside down like a little ravine cliff thing wow with the alarms going off and cops so everywhere lucky. so lucky and I don't believe in luck. I don't know. I don't know if well, I do, but I hear you. I hear you. I mean, protected, blessed. Something, yeah, something. Something. I, it was like that was uh, whatever it was, and I am so thankful for it. definitely woke me up to something about consequences. And I'm imagining that's part of your theme, too, but y'all, your, your consequences were very different. Yeah. Absolutely. Definitely like huge reality check of where I was, what I was doing with my life. Um, yeah, so let's see, I blacked out and I woke up to first, it was like, it was like a millisecond of a difference. First, there was like a huge sound of, um, shatter, like a shattering sound, like really loud shattering. And then, uh, I got like hit in the chest right after. And then I woke up and I was like, I looked around and I was like, what the fuck just happened? And like looking around, like for a moment, just trying to gather where am I? Who am I? What's going on? Am I alive? Am I dreaming? I'm awake. Shit. I'm in the car that I was in. What happened? What, what's going on? Um, and so the, airbag hit my chest our windshield was shattered and I kind of just remember people in the car making like groans like these noises like they were kind of like disoriented and in pain and wow I'm now just kind of sitting with how how vulnerable do I want to be <laughs> in telling the story and the details. 
Oh yeah, for so so this stays between like once again between me and you, regardless of this echo we're hearing. I, I I'd prefer as vulnerable as possible. Of course, of course you would. Yeah. Daniel Eisenman. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So I remember once I realized that it was a car accident. Pretty quickly, obviously, once I looked around and saw the windshield shatter and. Luckily, my friend's rule in her car was you always had to wear a seatbelt, which saved our fucking lives because everyone had a seatbelt on in the car. Then I remember, like, I remember the doors of the car opening and just the sounds of beer bottles hitting the asphalt. And our car was now facing the opposite direction that we were going. And then I remember once I knew it was an accident, I... me like going into the statement it's like oh I must have known that I really fucked up because I obviously and I remember that moment like I didn't want I didn't want my parents to know I like I didn't want anyone to know it was like I was like a bad dream that I was like I'm gonna wake up from this right like everything's gonna be fine I'm gonna go sleep at my friend's house and everything's gonna be fine no one's no one's gonna know about this right I remember my friend coming over to the driver's side car like she got out of the car and came over to me and it was like asking if I was okay and I told her I was okay and I remember whispering in her ear god this is like when I think about saying this or think about that I said this I'm like wow I'm such a fucked up human being and it's like not part of this this is part of the story that I just kind of like delete but it didn't but then it became yeah anyways it manifested um and 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 it manifested in, in greater ways. Um, so I basically I remember was because it was my friend's car, and I remember just like w- leaning into her and saying something like, "You have to say you're the driver. You have to say you're the driver." And she like agreed to it. She was like, "Okay." And now I'm like, now I say that I'm like, wait, why the fuck did she agree to that? Not like, there's like no blame. I'm just like, this is like ridiculous. <laughs> this is ridiculous. And so then she agreed to it. We all got out of the car. And at this point, there's like a line of traffic of like, I just remember like blurry headlights of cars lined up in traffic. And I got out of the car and I went and sat on the curb of the road with my best friend and we were both just like, I remember just like looking at her and like talking to her and her like saying nothing and her eyes just like wide open, like staring at the ground. And I remember being like telling her like everything is going to be like, I don't remember exactly, but I was like, I'm, I'm just going to tell my parents I stayed at your house and like, like nothing had happened. Like I just wanted it to like, it was, I could feel that it was so catastrophic that I just wanted to like wish it away or wake up from this like awful dream and just like talking about it I get really nervous and I get really like shaky and it just brings me back to like that fear state where I just feel like um like anguish So then the paramedic came over to me and my friend and told us that we had to go to the hospital. And I remember refusing to go to the hospital. And I was like, I'm fine. I feel fine. I'm fine. And he's like, 
we have to test you for internal bleeding. You have to come in. You have to go to the hospital. And just like thinking about that, like gives me so much anxiety in that moment of like bringing myself back to that night. So I surrender because I, I didn't really feel like I had much of a choice. And we go into the ambulance, both of us in the same ambulance. And they had they drew our blood right there with like the doors open of the ambulance, us like laying on these cold, hard, like metal beds of some kind. And they drew our blood. Well, they drew, I remember just like surrendering because my friend, they were trying to draw blood for my friend and she was screaming at the top of her lungs because she didn't want them to put the needle in her arm. Was this the friend that would have been the driver? No, this is my best friend uh, who was in the passenger uh, okay. side. Yeah, at that point, I had no idea where the two people in the back of the car was. I had no, this is like this, I'm right now I'm just like kind of, I'm just telling like my small vision and there's like so much more around that that I had no fucking clue what was going on. So meanwhile, maybe I'll just like jump to that a little bit. Meanwhile, me and my friend are in the ambulance. She's screaming her head off and she like is moving her arms so they can't get the needle in her. So they have to kind of like repoke her every time to get the needle in. And she's screaming. And I remember in that moment just like completely surrendering to just like the noise, the pain in my arm, whatever the hell is going on. So meanwhile, while all that's happening, well, okay, I'm just going to keep going actually. So eventually the screaming stops, they draw her blood, they take us in the ambulance to the hospital. I'm laying in the hospital bed and then the next thing I know my mom's like laying by my side. I don't really, I re oh I do remember a little bit of like being in like a CAT scan and them doing like MRIs and um, then I just remember like my mom being by my bedside in the hospital and my mom my mom told me when I was laying there that a girl in the other car died. And she was 16. And I remember at that moment just... Like everything just kind of stopped. Yeah. where I was still in like this state of like disbelief where at first I was already in disbelief that that accident had happened, not even knowing that someone had died, but knowing that it was bad. That something like it, something big had happened. And uh, yeah, go. Well, so your mom, she just told you that, that there was a 16-year-old girl in the other car that had died? Or? I don't remember the exact But that's detail. what you remembered. Yeah, I just remember. A 16-year-old girl. Yeah. That's pretty crazy. Cause and I was 16. Yeah. Did you know that girl? I didn't know the girl, but she went, had went, she had been at my high, she had gone to my high school previously and was now at that point going to the high school that my brother went to. And I had a lot of friends through my brother at the high school. So everyone, it was like, every, so many people at my high school knew her. So many people at my brother's high school knew her. So many of those people knew me. 
Was she the driver of the car? She was the passenger. And who was the driver? So the driver of the car um, went to my brother's high school. Wow. And he survived. He had he was in a wheelchair for I believe three months after the accident and had broken ribs and a whole slew of of all sort like ruptures to his organs and I, I broken bones. I can't even remember. I just remember them like I remember at one point when I was going through all the court when they like kind of like listed everything that had happened to him and I, it was just like. My mind couldn't even really comprehend it. When you were had gone to court, mm-hmm. so now, so we, so from the hospital bed with your mom. Yeah, that's how. What was that distance from? So I, yeah, I remember. Well, and it was, it was interesting leaving the emergency room because I don't, I didn't know it at the time. My mom told me later, but when I left the emergency room, the girl's family who died was sitting right there at the entrance. And they, uh, uh, that feeling like that feeling, I don't know, to me, that feeling is so interesting of like, wow, that family was like right there and I had no idea who they were. And they just like saw me like walk out of there after they just found out that their daughter died. And she died on, on, they had to, they flew her flight for life to the hospital and she died in the helicopter it was like it must have been within like three days that the media picked it up and I remember that I I think the DA at the time was like running for his position and he decided to make that his like glory story in in some way so the news picked it up and there was detectives um looking into the case and what happened and at that point, because Allie said she was the driver, they thought she was the driver. And there was like three days that had gone by. And at that point, I think I had, it was like within a week. I can't, I can't even like think about time in that sense. Cause it was just like events and not time. Um, somewhere soon after, within like a week, somewhere like that, I was kicked out of my high school and so was uh, my best friend, and so was the girl in the back in the back of the car who had owned the car. Um, so we were all kicked out, and I remember telling a different friend of mine. I was like, I can't. I was like, obviously, I was like, I'm the driver. I, I obviously can't. I obviously have to say say something now that I know like the reality of what this what's going on. Um like they're looking at pressing charges against her it's like I have to say something and first I told my friend then I told a different friend of my mother and then my her mother was like you have to tell your mom so I remember going home and telling my mom and my mom freaking out and like pacing in our house and just like in disbelief and like not finishing her sentences and like what are we gonna do and just in a total total panic and she was like then she was like questioning if I was telling the truth and trying to cover up for my friend. And then all of like the detectives and the media actually had to prove that I was a driver. Cause then they're like, wait, cause they were like building a case and it was happening so fast. It was like, by the time I had confessed that I was actually the driver, they were like getting ready to charge her. And then they're like, wait, what? You're the driver. Now we have a whole new, a whole new plot of this accident that we have to, 
work through. So I remember my mom right away getting us a lawyer and then then I remember being t like my hair was tested, my mouth was tested, like they tested DNA on the car and DNA with mine and DNA with hers to actually find out who the driver was. So it was interesting. So going back to like saying that to her, it was interesting how that actually like manifested where I'm like, oh, I wanted to hide that I had said that. But it manifested in a way where it was like, oh, now someone could get charged that is actually innocent. So don't like. Yeah, I like there's my curious mind is like I wonder how that affected the outcome of everything. Like if 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 they just knew who the original driver was from the mm. beginning, what would have been the difference in the Ooh. outcome? Anywho, so they so you, did did you basically tell them like you had to say actually I'm the driver? Or yeah, I so I think I, it was all like through my lawyer, and um, then I went to jail in Jefferson County Jail for. And, well, I was there until they got, my parents got me out on bond, which was for like, I think one to three nights. And they kept me in the, because I'm, I was a minor, I was six, well, I had just, I was like right before my 17th birthday. So at this point I was 17 and it was like June of that year that I went into jail and, um, they kept me in the place where they keep people on 23 hour lockdown. So I was with like, kind of it's like the insane and I remember um yeah wow just um being in that cell and then being really scared really just really really scared um and I'm like trying to remember how they arrested me I don't even remember that part I just remember being in the jail cell so then I got out on bond. My parents bonded me out. And then I was on bond for a year. So I remember at that time being in denial and continuing to basically take the same actions I had before the accident that entire year. I wasn't driving drunk. I was partying, though. I was, um, I didn't really slow down. I was in quite a bit of denial. Um, and I, I, th I just, I think I, I don't know. Maybe I just wanted it to, I don't know. I was just in denial. And in the, I remember wanting to be really strong in my, for my mom. Cause I could see how much it had affected her. And I remember being really sad, like alone in my room. And then not really showing much emotion and that was the one thing that really they really used against me a lot in media and like in the story was that I, I because I wasn't showing emotion I wasn't remorseful and because I was continuing to party I wasn't remorseful and taking responsibility for my actions which that I completely understand um, and I wish I could have shown more emotion at that time and I I didn't know how to handle it and so <laughs> chaos court case chaos court case chaos court case until so i mean i don't know if that's accurate I'm just yeah the c words here but yeah yeah no that's definitely what it was like it was definitely this back and forth maybe inner chaos but exterior exterior calmness. and in 
no, or something. I'm not like that with a lack of. I'm not sure what you think that the media was wanting you. Like, was there a picture painted that you were like still out partying, or was there a picture? Yeah. Uh, there was okay. Yeah, and 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 I mean, I think it was also. But how would the media know that? Like, how did I that mean, get? They, <laughs> yeah, so interesting. It's like, yeah, how would they know? There are ways that they like dig into places. I mean, they found pictures on like my MySpace at the time, and they found. Um, anything that they could find anything I don't remember I just remember it was like I remember them revealing pictures and then my lawyer was like okay we're gonna have you we're gonna have you take UAs and if this proves that you've been you've been on good behavior um, then we can use it to your benefit in your in your in your final court hearing um, and at one once what I was the terminology yeah. UAs take what uh, you UAs, oh, urinary you analysis tests, oh, okay. drug tests. Oh, okay, okay. And th- at this point too, they're like, they're building a case, and I'm looking at like how much I could, how many years, or like what my what my penalty was going to be, because I was a teenager, but because the county I was in, they could charge me as an adult. So at some point, I found out that I was looking at twelve, uh, potentially going to prison, a, a female prison for twelve years. Because I had, I had two felonies. I was charged with vehicular homicide and vehicular assault, plus a slew of other stuff because of the drugs that were involved. Or drugs, cannabis. There was cannabis, and at that point, it was like, it's not what it is today. It was a drug, right? Um, that, and um, uh, lying to the cops. I don't know. There was like, I think there was like seven or eight charges overall, but then most of I think then I was just charged with those two felonies um so I had 12 years hanging over my head and then what was what were we talking about before I said that though <laughs> the urinary blood test. oh yeah <laughs> which so is so good because I'm gonna take I'm gonna take a free I'm gonna break normal and take a pee break here pretty soon <laughs> I love it. Okay. do you want to tell me about that and okay let's do it so that's yeah so they okay because I was facing that amount of time it's like okay well maybe if we can prove that she's doing well right now we can reduce her sentence mm-hmm. um and oh, it's like now I'm like thinking about that and it's like wow I could have helped myself out there um but so I take, I'm taking these UAs, but I'm still, I'm, I'm literally getting other people's pee. Mm-hmm. I'm buying other pee. I'm, I, I'm buying fake pee hmm. because I wasn't being watched. So I could pull it, I could pull that off. And then there were times though, when I knew that I was fucked and I was like, I'm not going to pass this. I don't know what I'm going to do. Because you didn't have someone else's pee or something that day. Yeah. And because you were drinking and smoking still, or because I at that well, at, okay, and well, so during the accident there was just cannabis involved, but for that time period I was also raving and I was doing ecstasy. Um, it was ecstasy, so it was, but ecstasy is cut with meth and and speed and who got God knows what. So when my so I was being tested for all these, I was being tested when it came out in my, in my court sentencing, um, all of that got revealed. All those drugs showed up in your urine? They literally named and listed the drugs that showed up in my UA tests. And those were speed? It was, <laughs> me- it was methamphetamines, uh-huh. 
I don't even remember. I just remember that was like the big one that everyone freaked out about. My family was like, and "You've because been doing." Do you think that was cut with ecstasy, or where you were using meth? I was no, I was you no, I was taking <laughs> I was taking little ecstasy pills, and there was meth in the ecstasy pills. So wow. people at at that point, my family, my parents, my family, they thought that I was like smoking meth. They thought that I was using meth, and I guess I was using meth, but it was in a p- form of a party Would drug. Would Adderall show up as a methamphetamine? Do you know? I don't know. Anyways, that's a side slippery slope yeah, in the pharmaceutical categories. Um, wow. So you're saying that was in the sentence that was sort of leveraged against you? Yeah. So it was interesting. Because you used all these drugs since the accident. Yeah. And and, and like just proving more that I, I wasn't ready to not be sentenced from the uh, DA's perspective. Well, it just kind of like built the case of like showing how bad of a human being I, I was. Uh-huh. It's like, oh, you're not show you're not remorseful because you're not showing emotion. Oh, you have you look at all these drugs you've been doing. Oh, and then like I was like throwing up a peace sign like this. Okay, it's cuz I used to like I was like throwing it up like this in a picture and they said I was throwing up gang signs. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> Well, I mean that's a it's a pretty that's pretty relevant of how sensationalized the media can make something. Yeah. Um my I don't know if you remember this on the news, the Belgium bombings by mm-hmm, any chance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my sister's ex-boyfriend, I guess you would call him that. He was basically on the way to the United States, I think to propose to her. And he was the one that got hit by that. Like there was other people that died, but he was. It was they couldn't find him for three days because he was the one that was the most Ooh. impacted by it. And those three days, my sister got interviewed a lot mm. from news channels. Like, what do you? What's going on? Do you have you heard anything? And her crying on television and all this stuff. And then like I then all these YouTube videos came out about how this was like a fake thing, and she was like a crisis actress. And I like I even like at one point I like watched thirty seconds in one of them and I just turned it off because oh. I was like oh my gosh like if someone didn't know everything they could believe this to be true and I'm just like man that's well, a scary. real scary reality yeah. of the fakeness of media yeah sometimes media is right yeah sometimes and sometimes it's sensationalizing things for very sketchy reasons mm-hmm. so yeah the media the media I think is something to be suspicious of. Not something to blindly trust. And it seems like they were playing games with you in the case, and maybe the people that were battling on the case were leveraging the media to the advantage. Um, so the outcome was finally, like, how did this so, conclude? Right, yeah, so the my lawyer worked out a plea bargain with the DA to instead of the, well, not really instead, but the way it worked was I got, a four-year sentence at YOS, which is the Youth Offender System in Pueblo, Colorado, and and with a 12-year sentence hanging over my head, which means if I didn't successfully complete the YOS program, I could would have to do the 12-year sentence. YOS. Yeah. Meaning? Youth Offender System. And what is the system that you have to do? That's interesting. What is <laughs> like, what do you have to accomplish? What's the... Um, you basically just have to get out... Uh, I was going to say get out alive. Um, get out 
just do your sen- do your time and get the fuck out of there and don't be a jackass. So not get in trouble, basically. Yeah, not get in trouble. Don't commit another crime. While in jail? Yeah. Okay. Or while in prison, which yeah. is different, right? Jail and prison. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So the, and it was, yeah, I mean, I knew women that had, didn't complete their sentences and had went to the women's facility and did their full time. And Oh, you mean y'all were sanctioned off in a different building than if you were serving your 12-year sentence right so the 12-year sentence was like adult women's prison and then you were in this a uh, youth youth prison okay so and it was like a medium security meaning prison. 18 and under meet no meaning uh 15 to 24 okay um so basically anyone who had been sentenced on people who had been charged as an adult under the age of 21 could have quote unquote the opportunity to go to this place because it was like a se- it's a second chance. Mm. Um, I mean, it was still it, and I mean, it was there's barbed wire fence everywhere. It was a medium security prison. There's guards everywhere. Um, uh, visitations that are monitored. Um, uh yeah so there was that's a whole nother like three-year podcast oh right my there. god i'm like yeah, how do i, I even mean, ask questions about that yeah no that <laughs> was insane so i get i get sentenced my court hearing happened which all these people are there for my high school my family's there whatever the sentencing happens i go to jail i hang out in county jail for like a week or two at jefferson county jail and the in just like the general population with all the other women, and then um, I from there went to YOS, and the first thirty days for every single person who goes there is a thirty day boot camp, and it's military style boot camp. They cut. I had hair about the length I have now, and they cut my hair to my ears like a bowl cut. They just take a. They just take a rate. Um, cutting shears or not shear yeah cutting shears are the the electric mm-hmm. blade and they just take your hair in a ponytail and cut it off and the girl who whatever that's that's detail anyways 30 day 30 30 days of boot camp where you're in a jumpsuit you're in a cell they it's like a hundred it's like a hundred degrees outside and there's guards like screaming at you the first day you're looking at the wall the entire time with the guards screaming at you to do like all sorts of drills and like just ridiculous shit and they make up nicknames to like literally break you down and break your ego down so hard and if you acted like a little shit in there then the whole group suffered so you were in there with people who were um real like gang members people who really didn't had authority issues so they it, it was just yeah wow like they i remember drinking from our canteens until we puked like they'd make you eat all your food and then drink like all this water and i remember puking i yeah it was crazy i remember i mean it was insane what they did what they did it was like straight up military style boot camp maybe maybe even 
less productive in some ways. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I'm just it's almost sounding like maybe more to break y'all down than where the military could be like a breakdown buildup. Was there a buildup for y'all? The buildup is the after. <laughs> okay, and the after being? The after, after the 30 days, you go into the general population. So there's a women's building and there's a men's building. So the men had like 100, 200 and some men and then the girls had like eight to 15. There was a really small women's population. Um, but you would only be with women in the general population or did they mix this? There name? was very few times that we were mixed. We would mix in college classes, in visits, some like um, fitness, fitness um, like classes that we would do that they would organize for us. We were like, I remember we started like volleyball tournaments and we would like play against them just to like have, um, yeah, it's interesting how that place, like in the blog that I wrote about this, I, I, it was like, it's so, such a paradox and so con ironic that that place actually became a place of sanctuary for me. Because I was for the first time in four years of my life that I was sober every single day. And I actually really had to face why I was spiraling so, so hard and so avoidant of, of all this trauma it, that was like in my body. So I had to, and at that, at that point too, um, yeah, I learned, I, yeah, wow, there's a lot that I could go into there, too. Like, that's a whole other, mm -hmm. whole scratch other. the surface real quick, if you will. So I started on my, like, self-practice and really, on uh, my, like, self-inquiry um, self journey, where I, I, the first thing that, the first thing that got me into the door of that self-healing journey was yoga and asana specifically, so just the postures. I had actually learned asana, I got kicked out of my high school, went to an alternative high school for like a year, that year that I was in and out of court. At that alternative high school, I had yoga as a PE option, so I took yoga. When I got to county jail after I got sentenced, I wrote out every posture that I could remember, and I practiced it in my jail cell. And then I got to YOS, and I just kept practicing yoga, and then I could get books, and I'd get books on yoga. And then my mother, who's like, was my guru, literally, like my ultimate teacher when I was there, she would come and spend two days, she would just stay in Pueblo, get a hotel room, and spend two full days with me in the visiting in the visiting um, uh, visiting area, and we would just talk about ho'oponopono, which is like a Hawaiian healing method. We would, and she, and we wouldn't even talk. About, we would talk about it, but she would actually show me how to, and teach me the teach me the exercises and the practices. She taught me how to um, like the book, the power of deliberate intent. I remember reading that where it's like learning about 
where my energy goes and about my thoughts and like how they amplify the energy around me and how the people around me are a reflection of my own energy so like when people were crossing my boundaries it was like really it almost felt like abusive in a way because I didn't I didn't I didn't have strong boundaries so I would just let people kind of like walk all over me in a sense and it was like it didn't feel good and I now was in a place where I was like I have to like stand up for myself and how do I do that and how do I heal myself and how and how does healing myself actually heal other people and how do how does that become um a like a lighthouse almost in the dark or like a beacon for healing. So I actually, it was amazing because I really started to feel that and and witness it and experience it in a, in a real way. Um, I also journaled all the time. I remember journaling like the darkest things that I would never let myself actually like think about. And the like the realities and the truths that I would not face and I remember just like not even looking at the paper and just like writing and scribbling and writing and writing and writing and just like stacks and stacks and stacks of journals yeah and I kept I had hundreds of letters that people had sent me friends family counselors hundreds I had kept them all and I I kept them all even after I got out I got out in 2000 11 I was on an ankle monitor for a year so my last year I was on an ankle monitor on, on probation I literally burned all of those letters last year I had all of those letters saved it was like this like I'm assuming you read them I mean, I read them when I got them, okay, and then I, I just like I saved them. You were them. just like didn't even open them. No, like I, <laughs> I, I had all these red. They were all red and open. But then I just saved them for years after. And then last Christmas, I was at my parents' house, and my mom. This most recent one or the one before? The one before. Okay. So in 2018, 2018, I'm at my parents' house, and my mom like had recently moved into her new house, and she shows me this box of stuff that she had just like stored for me. And it was all of the letters from YOS that I had received from people, like a mountain of them. And I kept on to them because it was like all the support. It was like the only thing, it was like that and my practice and inside was like the only thing that kept me going. It was so, sh it was just like stagnant and shitty and scary. And it was like yoga, working on myself and then all of the support that I had from my family and my friends. And I lost a lot of friends through that process. And my family took a little while to warm back up to me after that whole thing. Um, and burning them was so, it was so ceremonial and like sa so sacred, but also, and also such a release. And then, so I burned all my letters. My, we, the, we had a fire going and I was like, I'm going to burn all of these. I need to like let this all go. My grandmother and my my well my great great grandmother. I had letters from her. She passed away like two years ago. My grandpa passed away in two thousand ten. I burned all of his le the letters from him. And then my mom had saved. I found out my mom that night after I burned my letters. My mom was like, "I'm gonna burn the letters now." And I was like, "Wait, what?" 
She's like, yeah, I have saved, I've saved all the letters that you sent me. And then she pulls out all of the letters that she had and burned, burned all of that. Crazy. I remember my, yeah, anyways, there's so, like, there's so much detail I could go into. But, yeah. Wow, well, <laughs> for the sake of time, too, with that thinking, like, I took that minute break, and that's an hour and 11 minutes when you're talking about all of this, like, letting go and releasing <laughs> and yeah. burning. I'm like, maybe we want to start a fire in there. <laughs> and, yeah, thank you. I feel like I got to get the details of the story. Like, a lot of the major bullet points, mm -hmm. enough to, like, understand that, because those are... um. That sounds like very shaping of who you are. <laughs> and it's good to get some context about that. And it's so fascinating and so interesting. And it sounds like it could be so healing for other people to learn about. Yeah, that's definitely a big part of sharing it is in hopes that it will heal other people in some way. And I bet you as well. Oh, well, absolutely. And I bet me as well. Me. I mean, yes, absolutely. And if we're me. all healing, or if we're all getting healthier, let's put it that way, this felt, this feels like a path to my health. Yeah, and thank you, like, for your courage to share it, like, with very little seemingly agenda, more like actually putting yourself back in the situation so that we can understand what it's like maybe for a 16-year-old and a 17-year-old and an 18-year-old and a 19-year-old and, and one person to go through this and then how we can relate to it in our own ways and how we can feel blessed. Like for me, it's like, yeah, my story was very different. Uh, no one got hurt. The car was broken. <laughs> the car was broken and um, I was sober. That was a big, that was a big difference. Um, not on like, uh, but like I said, I wasn't sober though. I wasn't. There was something going through me that felt out of control, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it seemed like it was like seeking a, a boundary in a way, and I got it. And it, it was interesting to hear about when you were saying, um, how you volunteer to drive, uh, that part, and then you got to learn so much about boundaries after that. Mm -hmm. I've definitely, I have definitely been around people that I think sometimes misunderstand like their value for what they can offer someone in the moment mm. and I, like i remember being on a hike with the, with the person i my friend who helped me write breaking normal <laughs> we were going down some sketchy trails at one point in glacier national park in montana mm -hmm. i think it was yellowstone one of the two and he kept letting people go like he kept giving people the right away mm. and he's like like he's very nice but the thing was he was putting me in danger by doing that because I was like, no, 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 bro, that's like, we have the right of way. Like, this is not safe to be that accommodating at this particular spot. Like, just walk down the trail and go. And they'll come up. It's behind. And I realized I got to say something. Like, I had to say something because I was like, this guy's putting me on danger by being nice. Interesting. <laughs> and something I connected to that part of the story of how, like, how a seemingly good, like, oh man, there's a, here, this is purely metaphorical or some fun thing to think about, but like sometimes what the path, the heavenly path could be leading to hell and vice versa. Like what someone thinks they're supposed to do for righteous reasons. That's literally, that, yeah. 
and it's it's there's a bigger there's there's something more trustworthy than culture and fitting in and doing what you're supposed to do sometimes and i think that body is definitely embedded i mean that wisdom is definitely embodied in the body and like nature i find more of that truth like oh there's a truth that's primal and it's raw and it's not all about being nice and it's not all about what we might think it is absolutely absolutely um and wow wow it sounds <laughs> there's so much there's so much of that story i think my intent i feel pretty good i'm like yeah i feel like i opened pandora's box to oh, that story yeah. for who okay. wants to learn more or think about it more or see how that reflects to themselves more all right y'all i trust that metaphorically blew your mind at least a fraction as much as it did mine and opened your heart even more um, I realized I didn't even give Naga's website in the intro. Her website is existinpeace.org. That's exist, I-N-P-E-A-C-E.org. And we'll put all this information in the show notes, including um, how to check out Breaking Normal University. It's pretty simple. Go to breakingnormal.com, click on the university section. When first, if you're one of the first 150 people to enroll, you get $150 off a of future tribe design. We still have our next one scheduled in Austin. We're waiting for some details about if it's really going to happen or not based on the number of people and the ranch owner and all that. But in the meantime, start your tribe design online. All the money goes towards future tribe designs. It comes with an affiliate link. It's a great way to get paid to play and open up another source of income during these crazy times to connect with people and practice the art of designing tribes, whether it's virtually and something you can carry over to your personal life with your family, friends, teams, businesses, etc. And what I'll do now is I'm going to leave you with a the audio teaser of the naked module, which I would argue might be the most healing one for the most amount of people. And that's what will be following this. And if you want to go enroll, you can get the whole, just the course itself for $33 with a backed by 100% satisfaction guaranteed. And like I said, if that's too much for you at this time and you really feel aligned with this, reach out to me and I can give you a coupon code. And then um, for the Tribe Design Online, that's the next tier. And that's the one that comes with the affiliate link and it includes the weekly calls and includes the private group on the Breaking Normal app. So I'm really excited to use this time of this national quarantine and beyond to connect even more with myself and others and uh, make the best with the circumstances we currently have. And I trust that's what you're doing. And I trust that's supporting you in doing this. And I'll look forward to uh, talking to you soon, seeing you soon, and maybe seeing you on the call as soon as this evening. All right. Enjoy this outro. Much love y'all. Peace. All right. Welcome to the next exercise, which is probably the most taboo out of all of them because it's basically stripping away not only all the stories, but it's stripping actually your clothes. Um, we've done this exercise in completely bare skin, and we've done it um, in times when people remove whatever they feel the most or the least comfortable with it without breaching their ethic or moral boundaries. So this is definitely a sensitive subject for a lot of people, but I will tell you, and I think y'all can attest to this, some people have walked into this exercise completely different than they walked out. I've seen what I would describe as boys becoming men from doing this exercise, girls becoming women, um, victims becoming victors, or basically someone that's ashamed of this miraculous, look at this, this epic human suit that we're wearing, that we were born with, this is how we came into the world and this is how we're gonna leave the world. That instead of being ashamed of this, 
being so stoked about it, so stoked for this opportunity to navigate the earth with these superhuman suits, I think the Creator did it right. What, what, how, can a, how can a human body get any better? Yeah, I personally have experienced a tremendous amount of growth from doing this exercise. I believe that all these exercises, especially this one, if you're not practicing these exercises, I really believe it. Emotions that we carry, these insecurities that I've carried, can manifest itself in excess fat. It can manifest itself in illness. I really truly believe that. So this one has been really powerful for me. Now, today we're gonna do it with our clothes on or we're gonna, um, for me it's gonna be my shorts. I have done this naked before, completely naked. I would not recommend doing this exercise naked with a, a group of men and women. I, I would do it again if it was just a group of men in a very safe environment. So yeah, without diving too much into the taboo-ness of what you describe or you believe ethically is right with nudity, Find the zone that you can do it. Because once again, I'll say it again, the best way to get the most out of this exercise is doing it. And if you won't do it completely naked, that's completely fine. Um, I do encourage though everyone, if there are gonna be people there, if some people are going all, all natural, if you will, that everyone would be all natural. Um, so that there's a, there's a container that's created rather than someone walking away thinking that they did the exercise better. There's none of that, so we're gonna all do it with our clothes on, considering the cameras. And, um, but I still think even in bathing suits or shorts, it still catalyzes an opportunity for people to let go of body shame that for sure, I definitely think uh, how we do some things is indicative of how we do everything. And if you're carrying a lot of body shame around, is it likely that that's uh, manifested in extra weight or excess baggage or excess inflammation? Shoot. I'll, let's say, let's say I think that I've become much more fit the more I've done this exercise. What I've seen is that when people feature their flaws, all of a sudden their flaws become their features. Think about Marilyn Monroe as an example of someone that had a, what a lot of people describe as an insecurity or a mole or something they want to remove from their face. They'll go, they'll go to the extent of getting plastic surgery to change it. But this woman owned her beauty mark to such a deep degree and featured it so much that it become, it actually changed our culture of what defines beauty, where this all of a sudden became a beauty mark rather than an ugly mole. So I, this is not at all about owning your shame, it's about letting it go, and as Deanna said, featuring your flaws until your flaws feel like features. And actually, I would say that the parts of my body that I used to hide, such as my feet, by featuring them and being more exposing to them and exploring how I used to be ashamed about them, I have never felt more confident and more happy and blessed for my healthy feet that I have. I would say that that quote, the one thing to fear is fear itself, really applies to what's happening here. I think um, whether it be for me or let's say a woman that's overweight, she could go around in her entire life trying to hide her belly. Just to come onto one of these events one day, or right here, right now, to reveal her belly for the first time ever and realize, oh my gosh, it's actually not that bad. I'm not even that afraid for people to see me. But the fear itself is freaking painful. Yeah, well, I would uh, say on a, even on a more practical level, think about this. That if someone, and we've dealt with this situation before, where someone might have bacne or toe fungus, and they're hiding that. So what happens when you hide toe fungus? When you put it in a dark and closed wet sock and shoe, and it doesn't get air light, it doesn't get air, and it doesn't get light. That fungus grows. What you might find out in that situation is that what you're resisting is actually persisting. Mm -hmm. So once again, 
that use this exercise to amplify sensations in your body and to let go of past stories that no longer serve you and to tell yourself a more empowering story because regardless of what your feet or your belly or your arms or your face looks like, it's a privilege. That's a privilege of living and the privilege is to take care of that and show it off and feature it and be at peace with it and use it to your advantage rather than being a weight. I mean, it just boggles my mind how much body shame used to be prevalent until this exercise came out. And what Timothy and Tyson are going to be um, awesome enough to volunteer and do it with their clothes on or whatever is the least comfortable but still ethical and legal for videos without becoming a porno. That's not our intention here. This is not a sec. Once again, the intent here is not to increase our sexualness. Uh, obviously, I, I, in my opinion, sexual energy will always be here. Um, but this is not to necessarily amplify our sexual energy. It's to let go of body shame and to amplify our appreciation for these miraculous body suits that we're in. So I'm going to facilitate what it could look like if you wanted to do this. And I would use these same questions as guidelines to bring up certain ideas for people. Um, and yeah, to once again, find where you're... Use this as an opportunity. Where are the sensations most in your body when you're here? And how can you increase those? And then feel the healing that takes place. Um, so if you were going to do this, the first step would be to everyone that's involved to remove your clothes. So we'll do that. You can even uh, think about this exercise to make a bit more fun of it. The block of shame. So we'll put Timothy on a block and uh, we'll let him go first. He'll be the one on the camera and I'll be um, asking questions off to the side. These are some questions that seem to bring up the best way to relieve some shame that people are carrying around. So Timothy, what is uh, the part of your body that, you're the, that you've been the most insecure about? 